0: Hello, painters. My name is Tyler, and my
1: name is Brooke,
0: and this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations, painters, 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 friends far and wide welcome back to the cosmere in full because we have yumi and the nightmare painter secret project number three a return to the cosmere after our detour to the world tree
1: at long last we have come back to the universe that we know
0: and love we are so happy to have all of you here joining us for the public version of our book club yeah, just as a
1: reminder, these book clubs are going up on our Patreon uh, sort of in real time as we are reading through these books when they first come out for backers, as we are. So if you want to hear our thoughts closer to release, uh, you can join us there. And this one especially, I feel like, is kind of fun because it is very much a chronological uh, process of us breaking down this book and processing the huge amount of Cosmere information that is there. So it does take the full book club to sort of get into all of the little nooks and crannies of this book. So you'll get to go on a fun ride as you see us go through all of the twists and turns of analyzing this story. And if you have thoughts or discoveries that you want to share with us about Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, let us know. Definitely send us those messages and we will start to incorporate some of those thoughts and theories uh, in these little beginning sections before we sort of go back in time to when we were first reading Yumi and the Nightmare Painter.
0: And with Secret Project number four being released in October... 2023, Year of Sanderson, that's what we will be doing with the patrons. So if you want to join at the $5 level, you can and help us break down secret project number four. But right now, let's get into perhaps the most Cosmere dense book that we've had in quite some time with Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. We're going to break it down. We're going to have a lot of episodes. This book club is going to be incredible
1: let's start with just some background on this story. This is another Hoyd story. So it's coming from Hoyt's perspective, telling the tale uh, to an in-world audience. It seems that this one is a Rosharan audience. And this is coming from Brandon sort of trying out different narrative voices for Hoyt in preparation for the eventual Dragonsteel novel, which will be all about Hoyd, uh, and he's kind of like trying to find the right voice that he wants that story to be in. So obviously we had Tress, which was also a Hoyd story, um, but had a little bit of a different voice in mm-hmm. that book. And, Brandon said, quote, "For Secret Project Three, I specifically wanted one where Hoyd was using more of a traditional narrative style. I'm not sure that it's the voice he'll use in Dragonsteel yet, but it's much closer." End quote.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit of confirmation in regards to something you and I have talked about a lot, which is that Brandon uses other stories, for example, the Reckoners or the Skyward Flight series, to practice. And try out his ideas that he may eventually work back into the Cosmere. I'm not saying always, yeah. but it does seem like he's doing it specifically with Hoyd in this instance. And what did you think about the voice of Hoyd in this story, maybe just compared to Tress?
1: This is actually one of my rough cuts. I didn't love it as much as a Hoyd story, I just thought that convention didn't really work for me in this specific story. I thought that it worked a lot better for a more whimsical, fairy tale-esque story like Tress, um, where he was able to bring in a lot of Hoyd's humor and that sort of unique perspective that felt like it fit with the narrative of the story. That worked for me. This story, it just didn't quite click. The couple of times where Hoyd's humor came in felt really out of place. It felt like the narrator was sometimes interrupting the story in kind of a jarring way, rather than the narration and the story existing together harmoniously, as I felt it did in Tress. I would have preferred if this story had been told in just a regular sort of third-person omniscient or first-person, you know, alternating perspectives, just sort of a normal novel style.
0: I like that we have hit you right up front with the rough cuts. And before we dive into additional rough cuts, because as you said, I don't think that this novel is perfect. However, having said that, let's start with some of the positives, because Overall, I really loved the storytelling, the characters, and the Cosmere-esque amount of information that we got from Yumi. We We know that these stories were all part of a similar gift from Brandon to his wife, Emily. And in part, this story was a reflection about a request that Emily made in regards to incorporating more romance into his writing and into his books and this tale as a romance novel i like even more Uh, and just kind of like seeing it from that perspective and as a love story
1: yeah it is really the first maybe only like true love story up to this point in the cosmere All of our other couples are either like highly unconventional Mm -hmm. or most of their courtship relationship happens off page, off screen, which I don't mind. I am not a person who really Really needs needs, like a ton of romance in my stories. Most of the time I feel like it just gets in the way of the plot and I'm like, I want to know what happens. I don't need three pages about you staring into this person's eyes
0: (laughs) yeah i feel like it's a different type of obsession that sometimes uh, a male author stereotypically will go into about violence is that a romance can just kind of like absorb a bunch of words on the page but it's not necessarily like moving me forward it's not incorporated well same Two could be said about violence. Like, I don't need a bunch of gratuitous violence. Right.
1: I think those are two areas where authors can really rely on concise, poignant, to-the-point descriptions mm-hmm. and allowing the reader's imagination to fill in. Like, I think that both sort of a violent scenario and a romantic scenario, we have pretty solid abilities to imagine and like you only need a couple of words to sort of trigger the right feeling in the reader. Um, So this is not usually an issue for me in Brandon's books, but it was cute to see him approach a romance like this. And he actually ended up saying that this was his favorite of the secret projects.
0: And I really want to explore that idea and concept because it is a romance novel it is about you know two people courting one another and falling in love and spoiler spoiler hashtag all spoilers all the time being in love at the end of the story we have also several different inspirations that brandon was working from and that he incorporated so i'm kind of wondering like what was his favorite aspect and the setting of the the japanese and korean Mm -hmm. influences I think that Brandon was able to just kind of like take a bunch from his own life and things that he was interested in and work them all into this story in a way that none of them feel reductive of another source and instead feel like something created new even though the references or the inspirations are pretty clear.
1: Yeah, I wonder if part of his enjoyment of this specific story is because it is a book about art.
0: Mm, Uh, And
1: we've seen in a lot of his works, specifically Stormlight Archive, that he really enjoys writing about art, its purpose in our lives, its purpose in society, uh, the role of artists, uh you know as a huge part of his own identity i think it's something that he really enjoys exploring and talking about and so i wonder if that sort of plays into part of why he likes this story so much
0: yeah he certainly is a professor uh of writing and works to incorporate those larger themes. He's not only interested in just, you know, writing action scenes or or just writing books in general. He's also someone who's deeply thinking about the importance of communication and when that communication is done purposefully with intent by an artist, you know, what emotions they're trying to evoke. And that's something that this story definitely takes time to explore in a lot of interesting and subtle ways.
1: Some of his other inspirations for the story include the manga. I'm probably going to mangle this title. Something like Hikaru no go. I am not a manga reader, but that was an inspiration (laughs) for this book. I think Brandon said that he was actually inspired by uh, his friend and colleague Peter's
0: love and passion for manga stories yeah Peter definitely kind of brought that to Brandon's attention I believe that in fact Brandon said that he had never read a manga story before Peter introduced him to one I don't know if it was Hikaru but that world of manga is so filled with incredible stories and that have served to an inspiration for Japanese artists, but also, of course, many American artists in several or all of the possible (laughs) mediums. And
1: then also inspired by Final Fantasy X, another thing that I have no relationship to.
0: (laughs) I feel like Final Fantasy at least will have a wider audience than a specific manga. Final Fantasy, of course, has become a world-renowned video game with several Original iterations as well as several remakes. The story is complex, but Brandon saw a rather like simple aspect of the story and latched onto that for Yumi.
1: He has said there is an idea about having fantastical jobs, but like regular, m- sort of mundane jobs. Uh, so things that normal people would do in their daily lives but with sort of this magical fantastical twist because of the world that they live in which i thought was a really interesting concept and i think that he really brought that to this story
0: yeah certainly painter's job is quite mundane like at best you call him a security guard
1: yeah but then
0: in some ways they're also and it's
1: like a minimum wage job right he's almost like a
0: like a, a trash sweeper this is
1: another uh place that we see the influence of the pandemic on these secret project stories because there are a few points of social commentary about essential workers and about how people in painters position are both absolutely essential for their way of life but also able to be forgotten basically and like they're not the police They're not the doctors, right? They're more like the grocery store workers where it's like, we definitely need you, but we also kind of ignore you.
0: Yeah, certainly. I suppose if all the painters are doing a perfect job, then they fade into the background. Exactly. Is that they the purpose is for that aspect of their very dark and dangerous society to be ignored because it allows them to feel normal and operate normally. Yeah. From garbage a, men. Exactly. Yeah. Just like garbage people. The garbage is not picked up. It immediately starts to unravel society. And so too, when the painters are not at their best, even if some aspects of the story will undercut the privilege of uh, the elite painters we'll talk more about like the detailed plot points a little bit later but i just think that there's again so many little things that brandon has picked up on and like taken chunks of inspiration from final fantasy as we mentioned being a huge one that world is way too complex for us to try to explain and make the connections to the Final Fantasy world, but it does involve a main character whose name is Titus, who, because of a shroud, a group of monsters that attack his world, is, like, forced to go on an adventure. In that adventure, he meets another character called Yuna. She is a summoner who is able to, like, draw out these... Uh, you know evil forces and use them to their benefit yuna brandon has said is the inspiration for yumi's name in this story and her role in society is kind of like a sacrificial lamb in a certain way uh, yumi is kind of just dedicated to the people her religious importance mm, in her society yeah there's some reflection in yuna's story as well at the end The final fantasy involves a lot about a sacrifice that should happen between either Yuna or Titus, and there's kind of similarities to the final showdown between Painter and Yumi. There's just a bunch of connections, but at the end, it really is tied together with a love story, and the story between these two characters, like Growing Over Time and maybe one of their worlds existing or not existing <laughs> in a time where you think that it does. Um, and so there's just a lot of like connections to that very complex world that then Brandon was able to kind of simplify, take the best parts of so the parts that he liked the most and weave this new story with different elements all interwoven until you get a beautiful new painting uh, done by our good friend painter.
1: And I... Again, don't really know Final Fantasy, but I think that another element that Sanderson added to that, and you could tell me if this was in Final Fantasy, but is the sort of body swap scenario.
0: Definitely not part of the story, okay. as I recall it, in Final Fantasy. Having yeah. the body- so, the body so that's swap another sort of is- new
1: thing, and it's not fully a body swap the way that we have seen it so many times. Brandon specifically said that he wanted it to be a little bit different so that the characters still see themselves in their own body so that you don't have to deal with that whole scenario of like, oh, I'm in a girl's body. I
0: have boobs or whatever. Or the opposite, which I we would assume happens just as much. Yeah, actually, close personal friend, Vincent Adultman on <laughs> Twitter Pointed out from one of our old episodes, we actually said that the next thing Brandon should work on is a body swap comedy. With uh, a little subversion going on there. Hilarious. We didn't necessarily think that it was going to happen, but it did happen. Brandon <laughs> heard our call and immediately got to work yeah. on Yumi. And then Emily, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Totally. Definitely for his wife. But no, in reality. <laughs> it was us. He's a close personal friend of the pod. And so too is Vincent, adult man. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Do you want to hop over to our first impressions, the things we liked and our favorite aspects and then we can get back into those rough cuts for the yeah, story.
1: Yeah. Let's do it. Overall, I really enjoyed this book. It felt like a really true Cosmere story. I think it just fits in perfectly with that canon. The world and the planetary system were fascinating. And I'm really excited to learn more about how this world and system fit into the Cosmere.
0: Yeah, I too have a lot of words of praise for it. I loved the setting. Mm -hmm. I thought that the modern World or the more modern world of yeah. painters society was really interesting. It was really cool to
1: see a city that basically looks like we would expect a city to look, which we haven't seen in the Cosmere before.
0: Exactly. So much of the medieval fantasy is now starting to give way only in things like Scadrial, where you have more of like the turn of the. 20th century in the united states with like some bigger cities but then a lot of like sprawl and open wilderness wild west vibes of course over there but here we have a true you know kind of like bustling city with little noodle shops uh some run by off-worlders who may or may not be human but the
1: (laughs) and television exactly quote-unquote electricity
0: the heons themselves were visually so striking and i loved the idea at least that i incorporate a lot with like the 1970s 1980s like heavy use of neon and like neon signs everywhere but then of course over in japan over in korea those technologies existed but they were used in a lot of different ways and became even more heavily a part of those culture maybe more integrated to a point like i feel like there's still there's less use of neon aspects in the united states today but i still feel like it's better incorporated into japanese korean society and hmm. even into like chinese society there's just like more of those like big bright billboards or now maybe even like led screens or like yeah. drone shows and like those kind of use of the lights And movement of the lights was always a cool aspect about Neon is that, like, if you stared closely, you could kind of, like, see the movement of, I guess, what the gas is, like, moving through the pipes. And that's what these Heon lines kind of felt like, a a living thing. Cool. What else did you love? We
1: also have talked previously about how we haven't really seen a really hot world or like a desert world in the Cosmere yet. And this was kind of a version of that, seeing a place that really has that heat element. We've seen the Shattered Plains, which seem like they should be a desert, but it's never really described as being hot right. in that desert way. It just sort of has a desert-ish landscape.
0: Yeah, it's kind of um, like an Idaho or, or northern Utah in the... Sure. It's cold, yeah. but it is dry.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So it was kind of cool to see a completely different atmosphere.
0: Definitely a different atmosphere than we have dealt with. The almost traditional world of Yumi contrasted with the modern world of painter was then accentuated by the difference in the heat versus cold, the shroud with a single light versus this kind of Sometimes you know described as more idyllic or what I imagine would take influence from like historical Korea or Japan rather than mm. the more modern like Tokyo you know big city with the neon as I was talking about you have this kind of like traditional perspective represented by the yumi side of the story clashing with the painter modern side it was just a, a really cool juxtaposition mm-hmm. i also thought the reveal in this story was good and maybe better than the reveal that huck is charlie in tress i felt like the reveal in this story that yumi was not real necessarily mm, yeah or that she was a you know cognitive shadow of incredible importance that exists within a little bubble universe uh, that was created for her own like it just the reveal building.
1: was really good. It was intense and complex. yeah my only problem with the reveal is that it mostly happens just through exposition. By Mm, Hoyd just coming in to say, let me tell you exactly what happened. Here's the entire history and how we got to where we are. And I wish that it had been baked into the story more as a discovery rather than just told to me.
0: I agree with that. That's actually one of my rough cuts. But what I liked about the complexity of the reveal is that it wasn't just a reveal and then ending or like reveal and the story's over. It was a reveal which then showed what we were missing. And then we got to kind of explore what we were missing. As you said, mm-hmm. I didn't like the way that it was explored, but the there at least was some like follow up because of the plot turn and because of that reveal that like necessitated more going on to the story than we realized prior to the reveal and so that is what i really liked about it but if we want to just jump over to my rough cut yeah in that regard i do think that the lack of development for yumi and the backstory of yumi was reflected and seen too with a lack of painter's story and just kind of like not filled out all the way a sketch more than a complete work of art is you kind felt of,
1: like yumi's backstory was
0: i felt like both of them oh, were kind okay. of more of a sketch of something that i would really love if it was absolutely complete mm-hmm. but that wasn't entirely and they like you know maybe 85 percent of everything is there But then it's rushed towards the end. There's a lot of exposition in some circumstances, which, you know, I would have just I like the backstory of Painter. I like the fake story of Yumi. And I want kind of more depth in both of the tellings of those. I
1: felt like Painter's backstory worked for me. It was simpler, which I think is better for this kind of standalone novel you know you just don't have the space to have something super complex sure um it it just felt you know sort of classic you have the reveal of the the friends breaking the story and a little bit of that sort of betrayal or uh you know it's revealed not at the will of painter which is interesting it adds a little bit of complexity to his relationship with yumi And it's just, it's simple enough that it fits, that it can be discovered within the plot of the story. Sure. And, like, the plot can continue moving forward. Forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yumi's backstory was so big and so complex, I feel. It was too big for the book. Basically, which is why, like, Hoyt had to just step in and say, we're just going to have an insert chapter. Right. Because you needed like,
0: that to move forward. Or right. Otherwise, you would get stuck so much in you I mean, or line. the
1: book would have just been very long.
0: Right. Yeah. And I kind of want that. I know this is very spoiled of me, but basically what I would want In this story world specifically, it seems like there was more depth that could exist. So I would want a complete standalone novel, but I would want it to be like double the length and to have the time to develop still hit all the same plot points like I didn't have any problem with the the story beats. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think and you know, if this was not a secret project that exactly. Brandon just wrote on the fly during a pandemic <laughs> and, like, Would have been him didn't different... go through, you know, normal editorial processes or probably, like, his most robust outlining process, I could be super picky and say, like, eh, maybe we spent too much time sort of trying to figure out the body swap thing and, like, how do I take a bath? I'm
0: confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: Blah, blah, blah. And, like, how can we sort of combine that with moving yumi's story forward and like oh we're figuring out this body swap thing but also intrigue scholars what's happening here here's a historical tome that i've never seen that tells me something about the past I <laughs> obviously i'm not the writer here but
0: <laughs> which is know. why we are not overly nitpicking those aspects because yeah. we do realize yeah, the yeah. circumstances that these stories were created in but i think and it's...
1: like and overall it was good right exactly. like now we're we're just being picky
0: yeah and i think that's the thing is we're being picky in the way that it is done because we liked it and we see the yeah. potential, we see the the depth, the intrigue that is there. And so really what we're just saying is we liked it so much we want more of it and potentially like I would not mind returning to Yumi and Painter's world either oh, yeah. before them I or after them. I mean, the after world
1: them. itself is so interesting. Exactly. Like
0: the world building was so interesting. We got a bunch of Cosmere hints and I think that's probably the last real positive favorite thing that I'm going to mm-hmm. say is that I loved all the Cosmere stuff, but as Main over on the 17th Shard said, the artwork
1: oh my gosh. by
0: Aaliyah Chen is truly incredible. And that is the thing that is different with these Seeger projects. We're not maybe getting you know double the length or a Stormlight Archive-esque complexity, but with each book, we are getting a different, artistic presentation and alia chen was able to not only present their own style but incorporate multiple different genres there's watercolors there's high detail uh, like manga inspired prints there's calligraphic styles and then of course we have the hardcover color interweaving matching yeah. the hion lines
1: yeah it's that was one of my favorite things about the physical book it is just extra cool that this specific book about art like the in-book art has the same constraints as art in the world of the story because in the book it can either be black and white or they have two other ink colors to work with like period that's all that they can print in and they've chosen pink and aqua as those two colors and in the world Things are either black and white, painter painting with his black ink, or magenta and aqua in the high on lines. So I just found that symmetry to be really beautiful on top of just the gorgeousness of the work itself.
0: Yeah. As a real world aside, I actually wonder if Brandon had created this story, then started working on the secret project aspect and the creation of the hardcovers because originally those hardcovers only had one additional color right and it was a big deal that he made them have two additional colors and that
1: was an add-on when the kickstarter did so well i remember him saying specifically that it would be really good for project three okay so So i don't think he actually planned it but it was a fortuitous turn of events.
0: Right, exactly. Not planned from the writing stage on up, but then once someone introduced the idea into his brain, he probably like couldn't let it go because <laughs> he knew it would, res- would result in exactly what you were talking about.
1: Yeah. I have one other thing that I really enjoyed that we've touched on a little bit and I just want to dive into a little bit more. Yeah, tell me. Something I really liked about this story was the really unique and distinct sort of settings for the story that we had these pockets. It almost made me think of like a sitcom set where you sort of have your main sets that the characters always go to and they're familiar and they kind of all look the same, but maybe they have a different feel to each one. So I love that we had Yumi's World as one set with its own, you know, warm color palette, stony with these like magical plants. And then we had Painter's World, which was a completely different feeling. Dark black. You had the bright magenta teal. It's like Urban boxy. Mm-hmm. And then within that, we had this noodle shop, which also sort of felt like its own little set that we kept yeah, the returning diner. to. Yeah. The coffee shop from friends. Exactly. Something yeah, like that. That's this sort of like warm, inviting community space. And it kind of functions, although it's within painter's world, it's sort of the merging place of the two of the two. Yeah. Because even though it's in painter's world, painter feels like an outsider there, even though it's not Yumi's world, she feels like she starts to belong.
0: And the difference between those things is helping us as the reader place these two, because I feel like the noodle shop, though it is run by an off-worlder, is actually one of the most real places. It is probably the best actual representation of quote-unquote painter's world but not from painter's perspective sure from painter's perspective the world is much more black and white he's the (laughs) lone samurai out hunting the evil monsters (laughs) but in reality it's a noodle shop and it's, it's friends coming together it's families and in
1: some ways it's like an international noodle shop it's a little bit of an ihop where people are coming from all over mingling
0: And through that mingling, you get the merging of cultures and the better understanding. It like brings Painter back from his extreme, Mm -hmm. but it also brings Yumi into literally the real world and helps her understand and make those connections that are necessary for her to have her plot advancement and her character arc.
1: Yeah. Should we talk about the characters a little bit more?
0: Yeah, I would love to, but I want to give you an opportunity for any more rough cuts. We started with your roughest cut, but is there anything else that you felt the story did not do well?
1: The narration was my biggest rough cut. Over-expository, humor didn't work for me. I also found it confusing how Hoyt was like even able to tell the story, because- and it is explained, but it's explained in sort of a scattered way. I need to go back and like read all of those passages and actually put together like how that was possible, which isn't ideal, right? Like your audience should be able to pick up like how this is happening within the book without needing to go back and be like, what? How does this even make sense?
0: Are you talking about how is Hoyt able to gain information so that he can retell the story later? exactly. Because he's stuck In the statue form. Yeah.
1: And part of it, I think, is like a magical, something's going on that you'll, you know, Raffo, you'll have to find out later. I don't want to tell you. But it felt overly mysterious to me where it wasn't just like, ooh, mystery. It was like, huh?
0: Got it. Yeah. I definitely didn't ever feel like there was a solid conclusion about how Hoid is capital C connected to Yumi and or Painter. Yeah. To through osmosis kind of pick up their stories how yeah. i understood what was happening because you could have design for example yeah. be the narrator yeah of at this story. first
1: i actually thought maybe it was Sigzel telling As this another story yeah yeah because yeah, the audience Roshar. is rosharan yeah and i thought oh this would be kind of cool to see hoyd's protege sort of taking over being the narrator of this story. It's a different kind of story. So a different style of narrative voice would be appropriate for a different character. Mm -hmm. I still kind of wish that it was (laughs) Sixel.
0: Rewrites now by Brooke. (laughs) Okay. My last rough cut has nothing to do with the actual story and everything to do with the fans. That's right. I'm coming after you, fans. Get ready for this super tough cut. (laughs) So many responses to Yumi. I, and this is hashtag all spoilers all the time, of course. I have seen people saying that the villain, the big machine Mm -hmm. at the end is a AI. And this is Brandon's take on all of the recent Uh. commentary on artificial intelligence, things like Chat GPT and all the blah blah blah. No people. No. Definitely no. For many a reasons. Number one, the machine is a machine. It is not an intelligence at all. It is a...
1: Okay, we talked about this before, mic. and I agreed with you. However, over the last couple Research of weeks... days? Yeah, I've been going back into the story and preparing basically all our notes for this entire series. And there are actually a couple of places that refute this point where we might start to think maybe there is an aspect of ai to the machine.
0: Okay, you're going to hit yeah, me with which those. We will... this is what happens when you give out rough cuts, people throw them <laughs> right back in your face. However, this
1: is why I have to like read the book twice and take all the notes before we start the series so that I know I'm like saying the right things. Yeah.
0: Well, you leave me to say the wrong things and that's perfect (laughs) because i will take those sorry for
1: leaving you out in the cold no no it's not my my intention my (laughs) argument
0: and i still believe it so you'll have to counter prove me okay okay I, i still think that the machine is a paperclip maximizer which is the thought experiment if you build a machine and you give it the direction of make paperclips and then it uses all the world's resources Mm. to make paperclips. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so it destroys the world Mm -hmm. because it's producing one more paperclip. And all you told it to do was make paperclips. But that's not an artificial intelligence it's just a machine that has gone out of control mm. it is different okay. than an artificial intelligence it's just a machine and it is the fear of machines that goes back in time yeah way before any yeah. type of ai conversation it's oh, the yeah. same thing that was talked about with the luddites in the 19th century in regards to the creation of mechanical looms and they going out of control and being dangerous for people who are around and it is the same type of thing that uh like John Henry American folk hero who fought it's very the-
1: John Henry in the end yes, where you exactly. have yeah yumi stacking alongside the machine stacking
0: right and that story just Because some people don't know who John Henry is at all. Uh, He was the steel-driving man. This would have been like in the, the Midwest. They're building all the train tracks, and John Henry is driving the steel iron so that you can drop explosives into these big gigantic holes and blow up mounds and stuff and a machine comes along that can drive the steel and then john henry gets in a race against the machine and he beats the machine but he dies his heart gives out from the effort it took to beat the machine and that is akin to what yumi is dealing with here again those are not artificial intelligence at all they're just machines.
1: Well, I'm just going to say for the sake of the podcast and everyone listening right now who is screaming at you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there are mentions in the text of additional things going on, which we'll just leave that as a cliffhanger and you're all just going to have to come back for our episode on the machine. (laughs)
0: Yes. Future episodes will support and or refute what I have just thrown out here right now. Refute. Oh no, no, I still think okay, I don't want to get (laughs) too much. You're not completely wrong. You're not completely
1: wrong. Because I'm just saying there's more information that we lost in our previous conversation about this.
0: Well, I think what may be where you're going is to a quote we've seen often in the Cosmere, which is that any bit of investiture left around for long enough begins to develop its own intelligence and consciousness is that something similar to what i you? think
1: there's an element of that okay but we'll get there we'll Excellent. get
0: there we're gonna come we, back to we it, can't folks. do
1: everything in this one episode no we cannot
0: <laughs> but what we can do is just talk about the characters so that we have a good foundation and, and baseline to work from in the future
1: let's start with yumi she ages herself at 19 and she appears at 19 years old uh, even though, obviously, in reality, she is over 1,700 years old. And a very apt quote from the book, quote, you are both incredibly old and eternally naive, end quote.
0: Yumi was raised from a baby, in her memory, to be a yogihijo, the protector, the religious, almost deity, but the religiously important and significant member of their society who can summon or communicate with the shades or spirits (laughs) and does so by the stacking of the rocks and then those spirits cooperate with her to achieve something for the people you know heal something lift something do something magical
1: she is heavily invested so we should be clear that this is true from like yumi's actual birth as a human girl, not simply as the cognitive shadow that we meet her as. Right. She, she gets to is, be
0: a cognitive shadow because she is heavily invested right. in her real life. And there yes. are 14 total people like that who were yes. like that before the machine was turned on.
1: Yes. They yeah. are all female. Mm-hmm. They are all girls, uh, which is the the title. Yoki Hijo is... Basically, like, girl who talks to spirits. Yoki is girl. Hijo is, like, spiritual, which is also where we get high on from Hijo. And then she is able to create fabrials out of those spirits for the townspeople of her kingdom. In terms of her personality, she is very dutiful. She always obeys orders. She has a lot of respect for authority, and she takes her role really seriously, and at the same time... She feels very stifled by this kind of difficult life, being alone, being, you know, constantly a servant for the people, not really able to do anything for herself. And we see the effect of her raising into this world from a tiny baby in that her own uh, internalized like shame and guilt coming into play to discipline herself from ever stepping out of line or asking questions or making changes to her life.
0: Yeah, I think there's some similarities to the character of Mulan from Chinese Mm -hmm. mythology, Mm -hmm. who is, of course, dealing with those external pressures against the person that she wants to be or how she feels she can be beneficial in society and then society is telling her not to be that way. Yumi is experiencing similar, but I think even a more extreme version where like she has so internalized these external pressures and maybe because of her religious significance as well. It's like reverted back. To a yeah, I mean that's always the best mechanism. way
1: to control someone, right? Like, Make them do it
0: themselves.
1: Yeah, teach them to do it themselves.
0: <laughs> Yumi's claim to fame is, of course, that she is a rock and roll star. No, she is a rock stacking aficionado prodigy. Maybe yeah. uh, virtuoso. Virt- virtuoso. Virtuoso. That's Yumi. She's real good at stacking rocks. Something that I don't think previously i would have thought of as a art but now all i want to do is find people who like professionally stack rocks or like huge big there's probably a
1: youtube channel for that oh that's a great point that
0: yeah hit us up if you know any good rock stacking youtube channels
1: yeah or if you are a rock stacker we should have a guest on the pod
0: if you're a real world rock stacking i do think that there are elements of the rock stacking and the like the physical aspect of the finding the weight and the balance mm-hmm. that would be very interesting and it's hard to get just from descriptions because mm-hmm. obviously i'm not like holding rocks as painter was sure but uh yeah i think that would be really cool like i don't know you just pick up a rock and kind of like instinctively after you've picked up tens of thousands of rocks you like know where its balance point is and so, that, yeah. that's really i don't know cool and a, it's a skill that I don't have in any way yeah. and so I want it of course
1: <laughs> and then within Yumi's world the other kind of main character is Lee Yun uh, the warden of Yumi who is quite severe and strict with Yumi she's got hair cut in a very blunt asymmetrical bob to really let you know that she means business yeah she's not someone to be trifled with
0: like the whole of a Fire Nation battleship. Yeah. So sharp.
1: And it does seem that she truly does care about Yumi, even though her job is to kind of keep Yumi in line. I think it's hard to be responsible for raising a child and not care about them at least a little bit. And we see her kind of come around towards the end when Painter, as Yumi, is doing all kinds of weird things and is saying, like, please trust me, Leon. And she does, you know, she doesn't just say, no, you're being crazy. I'm turning you into the Yoki Hijo police. She she goes along with it. However, she also is constantly being really annoyingly passive aggressive and just like, sure. Yes, whatever you say, chosen. It's like, shut up, Leon.
0: Yeah, Leon is complicated because... It is the eventual reveal that painter's nightmare, the big nightmare yeah. that they are chasing throughout his side of the story, is Leun in their shadow form, in their nightmare form, and it is the passing back and forth between the Leun as we see her and the nightmare form that actually connects these two storylines and these two individuals. She also
1: is the like, first or main connection that Hoid is able to access to access this story. I still don't really understand how or why that is important slash significant, but that's a fact, and maybe we'll dig into that in another episode.
0: My quick speculation is that because Leun is in this situation with the Yokihijo Yumi, She is a shade that is like forced to remember that she was human. And so she exists in kind of like a quasi state. Whereas if she was just a normal nightmare and never returned to the Leune form, Hoid wouldn't have noticed her. But basically, Mm. when as she has been passed back for 1700 years, this Mm. has been going on, one day relived. But Leune, every single one of those days, is remembering who she is. It's like created a cognitive realm beacon for leon
1: you think that that would be the same with all the other wardens for I the do. other 13 Yoki Hija, though. that certainly
0: would have to be the case for my theory that i just put out to yeah. be correct. so <laughs> yeah. yes now i have to believe that <laughs> hoyd could have connected to any of anyone any, and just, it just leon happened to be... was closest yeah yep, geographically or in the cognitive realm
1: let's move on to our next main character painter born nikaro
0: Yes, I think that the naming of himself painter is part of his total storyline. So we'll kind of begin when he was Nikoro or Nikaro. How would you say it?
1: I feel like the more Japanese pronunciation would be Nikaro. I could be one hundred percent wrong. I don't speak Japanese.
0: You let us know, people out there. We definitely yeah. have some Japanese. Yeah, I'm listeners. sure we have
1: some people familiar with Japanese. Please tell us what good pronunciations would be for basically all the words that we've said in this podcast.
0: I'm going to go with Nicaro just so that we're on the same page here. But Nicaro is said to look Vaden, black hair and skin, paler even than a Vaden. We know that Vadens are often portrayed as having violet eyes, and they have uh, definitely paler skin than most people on Rashar.
1: Yeah. And then Nikaro is even paler than a Vaden would be. Um, and then they also have that epicanthic fold that is typical to most people on Rashar. So we can assume that Nikaro would also have an epicanthic fold.
0: He is labeled as 19 in Risharan years.
1: Yeah. Risharan years are longer than Earth years. I believe they're somewhere over 500 days.
0: Yeah, so he's going to be know, a little bit older.
1: Yeah, we don't know how long an actual year on his planet Komashi is. Or how many so, birthdays he celebrated.
0: Yeah, right, We don't know that. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, so somewhere between probably 18 and 21, maybe.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty good. It is also another callback to Final Fantasy because both Titus and Yuna are 19 years old oh. in their respective storylines.
1: Interesting. I wonder if that is an auspicious number for like Japanese or Korean culture because Yumi mm. specifically says, you know, at the very beginning, she's like it's 19 days past my 19th birthday, which is like a lucky a lucky time. Okay. So I'm curious if that's taken from uh, a real world thing if it's also present in Final Fantasy.
0: That is super interesting. And I think we need,
1: OK, Japanese, Korean listeners, you got to you got to hit us up.
0: And or Final Fantasy nerds. We yes, would take all of you at once.
1: Or manga enthusiasts. Maybe you know a lot.
0: There's about. a lot of specialties that we need. Actually, <laughs> yeah. we're just going to start an entire crew of people. It's going to be a 60 person dance crew. It's going to be great. would
1: actually be great if we had like a little round table with a bunch of experts
0: in their specific aficionados, fields
1: aficionados yeah
0: okay maybe we have a new patreon idea you can join us over on patreon.com for maybe these cool type of group activity ideas a lot of fun a lot of discord all that jazz let's get back to Nicaro, who is from a young age inspired and blessed as a fantastic devotee of the painting community like this man wants to be a painter from a young age
1: and he is a very good artist like not only does he want to be a painter but he has the the skills and the talent and he puts in the time and the effort he trains uh from a young age dreaming to be in the dream watch from again being a young child just living in the sort of rural area outside of the big city
0: Yeah, the Dreamwatch is kind of displayed as maybe more like a police or even like a SWAT team for the police.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And so that is his goal, but it also comes... With elevation in kind of class or station in society, a lot of probably like money is tied up into it in terms of salary. I imagine it's like
1: maybe nurse versus you know brain surgeon or something. Like you, you get a big step up in terms of prestige and paycheck and all the things.
0: Yeah, I was thinking like security guard would be painters and then police officers or even like uh, elite. Police officers are the Dream Watch. Yeah, is I mean, like, I think
1: maybe it's more like security guard, marine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You definitely. Know? There is just a an elite level that's associated with the Dream Watch. They get to elevate their friends to become companions of their position. So not only does it benefit, yeah, they get to like pick their crew. Exactly. You don't only benefit a single individual. You can benefit all of the people around you, and that is exactly. What Nikoro wants to do with the friends that he makes in what would be his like middle school or high school years, he creates this group of friends, they are all artists and motivated and are following because they all recognize
1: that he has the most talent basically he's the best artist in their class and i love i love the way that this storyline goes and the very clear illustration of how these types of systemic organizational things work in actuality where you have you know one person gets chosen to be elevated but then because they're elevated they get to choose who else is elevated Mm -hmm. right they get to bring all of their friends and then once you're elevated then you kind of have some say and some sway over who else gets in and so now you have this sort of gatekeeping situation versus being a pure meritocracy and then it's all about who you know and who your dad is
0: Yes, that kind of lineage that's passed down, that legacy status, you know, something yeah. akin to an Ivy League that we are told is for like, you know, the best of the best. Right. The
1: impression being that if you are good enough, if you are talented enough, if you are smart enough, whatever it is, that's why you get ele- elevated. That's why you get into these institutions.
0: But so often we realize that the parents are actually paying directly for their yeah. SATs or just access to those opportunities to be in front of the people that can make decisions. Yeah, but it
1: doesn't actually have anything to do with how good of a painter painter is.
0: That's what is revealed. He was never going to be in the Dreamwatch because he is not connected in the same way that the people who actually are in the Dreamwatch are connected. Yeah. Bummer for him. Big bummer for him. But it also creates this negative spiral that he gets himself into because that failure and that lack of understanding about why he failed because Mm, he believes it's because he's a bad painter yeah and he was told for his entire life oh you're a really good painter you're a really good painter and they build this story this combined story around his elevation his Mm -hmm. skills and then to be told actually no you suck you can't come into the dream watch
1: so that when he fails it's like not just his ego or whatever like it's not just about him it's about letting down all of the people who believed in him right as well
0: maybe the really negative take that it seems painter put upon himself and why he became painter is that there was maybe a fear that the only reason he had made friends was because of his skill and if he's told that he doesn't actually have that skill then he doesn't deserve friends and maybe he like self destructs in a way where he just goes and sits in the library refusing to reveal the truth and therefore it just becomes this lie that continues and that lie is what eventually destroys the friendships and what causes them to break off by the time we meet painter he is completely insulated and isolated from those friends that he used to have.
1: I like the point that you brought up about this storyline in that it's also a storyline about the feeling the circumstance of being disconnected from your passion as well and sort of that uh day in day out um the mundanity. Yeah. yeah, the slog and just like how you can get into a pattern of just doing the bare minimum that you need to do to get by because it seems easier or it seems like there's no point to trying harder or whatever, doing the little things that make you happy. And I think that that is a feeling that we all can relate to um at different points in our lives. And sometimes it's really good to sort of see that reflected back at you. Uh, Because it's easier to see in a character like, no, painter, obviously, don't just paint bamboo all the time. Do what makes you happy. And then you can apply that to yourself.
0: You can try to apply that to yourself in your own circumstance. But let's just take another great quote from the Cosmere. What is the most important step a man can take? The next one, right? To just put one foot in front of the other is the most important thing. All that Dalinar is saying is I'm just gonna take the next step. I'm gonna go from where I am and I'm gonna take one step forward. And Painter Which is
1: also very important. Which exactly. Painter is doing. Painter right? is like, he just is doing that. Taking the next step. And
0: he never stops taking steps forward. In some respects, we can even say he did a lot better than Dalinar. Oh, yeah. Uh, like did yeah. not kill a bunch of people and yeah. like so, he didn't <laughs> become himself. an alcoholic. Exactly. Forget about his children, like all that bad <laughs> jazz. Uh instead, he just kept trudging forward and the trudge as our good friend paul Bettney would tell us from a night's tale uh is you know something that is occasionally what you have to do to like get you from circumstance a to circumstance b you don't know that you're doing that on the trudge you're just trudging and just that one yeah. step forward and that's where well, we pick up with painter
1: there is some intelligence to that like when he is telling his shift supervisor mm. you know bamboo works right. like why am i gonna do more if this is effective enough and i think that's a good argument it's like an efficient yeah, argument right if it works like you should be able to do it at your minimum wage no prestige job like no one should be telling you stop painting bamboo like, yeah exactly you're not getting paid enough to be creative <laughs> right it's a but at the same Time, I think, you know, being able to make the decision just for yourself to make yourself happy, you know, and ask the question like, would I maybe enjoy my life, enjoy my job just a tiny bit more if I gave myself permission to be a little bit more creative?
0: Would Having, that make me happy rather right. than like make the boss happy or yes. give me more money or whatever? Yes. It's just like, would I feel a little bit better by approaching my situation this way exactly. instead of that way? Yes. Painter discovers that through his story because obviously he's fantastically linked to Yumi and we see him develop this attitude in regards to rock stacking that you know, is continually learning, continually humbling himself, but then also at important moments pushing past the this is how you do it and instead applying his own skills and unique perspective.
1: Yeah, it's a classic case of these two characters having something that the other needs, right? Yumi is probably overly structured Overly dedicated to doing things perfectly at 100% all the time, doing her best, being a virtuoso, and Painter is like, why try? We just don't care. I don't need to do my best. Yeah, trudge, trudge. (laughs) And so they're able to share and balance each other out in that way, not unlike you and I, where Yumi gets a little bit softer, a little bit more willing to color outside the lines, be a little bit more creative. And Painter sort of reconnects to his desire to be a virtuoso, to use the skills that he has.
0: Because it makes him happy and it benefits others. Exactly. Love it. Now let's go over the friend group. Important for the plot. We're going to give them a lot less attention. And we're just going to kind of run through the other characters involved. We may bring them back into later episodes.
1: We've got Akane, who I imagine like Asami from Korra.
0: Great call. Yeah. Love that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Akane, who is a beautiful young woman from Painter's previous friend group, he's got a little crush on her at the beginning of the story. I'm
0: pretty sure everybody has a crush on Akane slash Asami.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Everyone.
0: Because she's awesome. Seemingly, you know, the ringleader of the group or certainly like the glue of the group and is the one that we see take Yumi under their wing.
1: Yeah, which is so cute. I love the scene where she takes her shopping mm-hmm. and just the generosity right of someone who meets a new person and is just like, "Hey, let me let me help you. Let me get you some food. We'll get you some clothes." And it's just so warm and welcoming. It's delightful.
0: We also have Tojin, who is the brock of the group. <laughs> Or maybe uh, if we're staying with our our Avatar universe, uh, then he is Bolin of the group. You know, Tuk, hero of the South. He's Tuk, the hero of the South.
1: Bolin, but with less confidence with the ladies.
0: Yeah, he's more in the phase when Bolin was before we meet him, when all he's doing is just training for the game that they play, the sport that they play. Sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Tojin is super muscular. His hobby, his passion is weightlifting and bodybuilding. Painter kind of writes him off as a dumb womanizing meathead. But when Yumi meets him, she has sort of the presence of mind and the attention to detail to notice that he's actually kind of shy. And is not really going up to women, like, trying to show off. And he actually seems pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, the funny scene that he has, instead of, like, going to the bar hitting on women or being like, yo, what up, bro style, his moment of joy is found when his other musclehead friends from yeah. the gym are around and he like and runs like over
1: sharing tips exactly and they're like, like look at my traps bro aren't they sexy yeah or like i'm really trying to like hit this milestone and he's like oh try this exercise with this much weight and like see if you get where you want to go
0: exactly so that aspect is definitely very apparent in the weightlifting and bodybuilding community But the meathead fear or the like frat bro energy certainly exists, too. And it's more obnoxious. And so that's the one that we gonna kind of label him with.
1: Yeah, I like this. uh, I like this take. And we're going to talk more about the shard of this world in Mm, our next episode. The shard being virtuosity. And I like that it seems that Brandon's take on virtuosity is really focusing on the joy that it brings to the individual personally, right? So the joy that Painter takes from painting for himself, mm-hmm. the joy that Yumi takes in rock stacking for you know that that pride of just knowing that she's done her best and she's she's skilled and she put her all into it. Yeah. And we see that here with Tojin too, where it's not necessarily about showing off to other people.
0: But his canvas is his body. Yeah. And he is crafting it in the exactly. same way that Yumi stacking rocks. That
1: works. is his virtuosity as like mastering yeah, his body and yeah. like he's doing it because he enjoys it. It's a way for him to relate to other people, mm-hmm. and it's not about the like outside praise
0: on the other hand we have izzy who is obsessed with the (laughs) pop culture and horoscopes and combining horoscopes with the tv shows that she is watching each episode has like a corresponding horoscope it's a really funny portrayal and again a very like modern portrayal because certainly you need all of these like secondary aspects of society to get fandom right? You yeah. don't have fandom in Yumi's world, except for like religious devotion. Right. Where yeah. Maybe a type of fandom. The original
1: fandom. Exactly. <laughs> the Disciples, just the original stands.
0: 100%. Like they are the Swifties who go like, to every we single are concert. into it. They like, travel with the tour. Yeah. That's the Disciples. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but I think that Painter society has advanced enough to the point when they have these TV shows and the fandoms around the TV shows and these what some could say are, you know, silly connections to horoscopes, but it represents itself in Izzy so perfectly. And I feel like that person definitely exists in our world and maybe Absolutely. in ourselves yeah. a little bit here maybe. and there <laughs> as we are just spending hour upon hour talking about the Cosmere fictional universe <laughs> and applying yeah. it to our own life yeah.
1: trying to decide you know which in book character we're the most like and what that says about you
0: it says a lot because obviously the answer is Kaladin. I will take
1: every personality quiz <laughs>
0: <laughs> yours is easy your combo of Shalon and Staris. <laughs>
1: And of course, the last member of the group is Masaka, but we are going to throw her into our episode, including Design and Hoyd, all of our world hoppers. Because and the
0: off-worlder, yeah. We'll,
1: we'll talk about Masaka later.
0: Lots of fun stuff yeah. to pull out about Masaka, Design, and Hoyd. So stay tuned for that. To round out this episode, let's go with some favorite quotes, back and forth, rapid fire. Tell me, one of your favorite quotes from Yumi and the Nightmare Painter.
1: Quote, He wouldn't have stopped in, save for his tragic mortality. Even solemn, edgy warriors against darkness needed noodles now and then. End quote. And I love that because it basically describes me, save for my tragic mortality, I also would often choose not to eat.
0: (laughs) I just love how... Brandon took the concept of the lone samurai, huge in Japanese stories and history, and applied it to the 19-year-old kind of edgelord. Just like,
1: it's fine. I'm alone, but I'm a lone wolf. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. It's not sad and depressing.
0: I howl at the moon in (coughs) terror, not because I'm really, really sad. (laughs) All right. Quote for me. Here we go. Quote, yet all art is meaningless without those to admire it. You don't get to decide what constitutes art, but we together do, end quote. This being the end result of that lone wolf story is that he's not alone, and meaning comes from the meaning that we give things, and collectively, when we give meaning to something, the value of that increases exponentially, and, you know, finding the meaning and connection between friends and lovers and also the existence or not existence of your world. These are all important things to find meaning in.
1: Okay, my next one, quote, it's hard to be gentlemanly when the world isn't being particularly gentle with you. But if you can't be a gentleman, you can at least not be a creep,
0: end quote. Definitely a motto that I didn't realize I'd adopted, but I have. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I feel like it's great. I do feel like The world is tough. We're not known for being particularly gentle on the male identifying people of our world. But you don't have to be a creep. Like, let's not use that as an excuse, people.
0: Right. I think that's the whole concept of like the strong and silent type. You just be like, you're there getting beat up, you know, just being a rock. (laughs) But you don't complain. And you certainly don't turn that difficulty that you might be dealing with into creepiness. Because that happens unfortunately, with nails a lot. But uh, let's go on to one of my quotes. And I feel like this is just an important for the Cosmere quote.
1: I try to pick out the non-Cosmere important ones because we will get to the
0: Cosmere We definitely will. But I wanted to throw this one out there because I feel like it encompasses the Cosmere lesson that we can take away from Yumi and maybe apply to other situations. Quote, let this be a lesson. When you awaken a device like this, be very, very careful what commands you give it to follow. End quote. Simple lesson. I don't think it has been realized across the Cosmere yet. You
1: would think after Nightblood, everyone would get it, but we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah,
0: and we're definitely going to talk about all of this a lot more because Obviously. I think there are many a mistakes coming in the Cosmere between Nightblood and this machine on Yumi's planet. I think that there were probably multiple creations, but we don't even know how far in the future it is. Oh, goodness. There's a lot of stuff going on. See, we
1: can't start going down this rabbit hole.
0: Hit me with another of your non-Cosmere specific quotes, just from the story itself.
1: This one is from Design on her experience of being a human woman. Quote, it's really quite nice, except for the sexism. But it's hard to blame that on being a woman instead of on, you know,
0: morons. End quote. Design's got a bunch of quips that I just want to mark their evolution. Design their is
1: delightful. She is so wonderful. I'm so glad that she has come back to the page. You got another one for me?
0: I definitely do. Let's go with this one. Quote, he smiled at her. I don't care how well a machine piles rocks. The fact that you do it is what matters to me. End quote. So cute. It is a love story. all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Okay, I will read my love story quote next. Quote, It wasn't a very good kiss. Considering the limited experience of the ones responsible, that won't surprise you. Yet for two people whose only previous brushes with romance involved some particularly aspirational daydreams, it worked well enough. Plus, here's the thing. A kiss doesn't need to be good to be valuable. It doesn't serve any real purpose. It's valued solely because of the person you share it with. End quote. I just really loved that. Brandon took this concept of writing a romance story and definitely made it his own. And as a mature person who's been in a serious relationship for a very long time, uh, he didn't make this first kiss between two 19 year olds who have never had a significant other before. Like, you know, the best end all be all butterflies and rainbows and magic
0: foot popping kiss. Yes,
1: the magic foot popping kiss. He's like, look, It was good because they liked each other. But let's be honest, your first kiss is never your best.
0: I absolutely agree. And want to now segue that beautifully over into a conversation about heroes. Ooh, okay. Because heroes often do get to kiss, you know, at the end of their heroics. That's true. Quote, the true hero is the one in your mind, the representation of an ideal that makes you a better person. The individual who inspired it. Well, they're like the book on the table or the art on the wall. A vessel, a syringe full of transformational aspiration, end quote.
1: I love that quote. I almost picked that one out as well.
0: A syringe full of transformational aspiration is a great line and is, of course, also what Brandon does to us all the time, just hits us with those syringes.
1: But it's about our relationship to the material or to the person, not the person or the thing itself. Right.
0: Not actually to Brandon. Though we do <laughs> yeah. love him, he <laughs> yeah, is yeah. a close personal friend. <laughs> he is friend.
1: not a hero. He is just a normal human being that our relationship with his work makes us better people.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We take from it and we kind of put our own meaning on the things that he yeah. has created. And therefore, it has become separate from him and integrated with us in a new way and that is the power of art and that is also yeah the exactly gift that like that
1: art quote that mm-hmm. we make the meaning exactly yeah um okay i have two more one's serious one is silly which one do you want first
0: i want to end with the silliest one so give me okay the more serious one does this Perfect, require this a second is, reader this is
1: also kind of uh about heroism so it'll tie right in It does not require a second reader.
0: Excellent. Then give it to me.
1: Quote, you don't have to be like her, Yumi thought. You really don't. Such a novel idea and so much harder to do than she would have ever assumed. Still, Yumi forced out the words, the ones akin to those she always wished she could have heard. It's all right, she whispered. I know you're trying. That's what matters. Pay attention. At times, this is what heroism looks like. End quote. The idea that you can be a hero simply by breaking the chain of, I mean, abuse is a strong word, but just breaking the chain of sort of negative uh, negative talk, negative relationship that you have experienced is just so beautiful. I love that we got this moment of Yumi thinking about where she'd come from, thinking about how she had been treated and about how she wished she had been treated, and then making the choice not to say well, I had to go through it, so you do too. Mm -hmm. And instead to say, I don't want you to have to go through the same thing that I went through. And it takes a lot of effort, I think, to sort of cross that boundary and do something new and different. And she puts in that work and like the quote says, this is what heroism looks like.
0: Absolutely. I think that any change can be difficult and it's easy, maybe too easy, to do what we have done previously or to repeat onto others as has been done to us which is why it's kind of a big quote and important books yeah that you should try to treat others not as you have been treated
1: but how you want to be treated exactly yeah
0: and the act of doing that is difficult which again is probably why it's That's been why repeated I... <laughs> so often is you are going against Resistance, it's like fighting against gravity. You're walking uphill when you're taking that action.
1: And it is also an act of creation. It is not- A new thing. uh, uh, Yeah, a copy, a repetition. It is creating something new.
0: And this is the difference that painter experiences just creating the bamboo, doing what is efficient, doing what is necessary, doing the bare minimum. It gets the job done. Yes, maybe repeating the sins of the past, repeating the trauma of the past gets the job done. Like, you know, sure. if you yeah. beat a little child, yeah. they're not going to go into the woods. <laughs> you hit
1: your kids, you they probably will stop doing that thing. Right.
0: But it's not an act of creation. It's not moving things forward in the same way that could be possible. And that's what we get to explore in this story with Yumi and Painter.
1: Yeah. Okay. Finally, just a silly one, a moment that really made me laugh. This is when uh, Painter as Yumi and Yumi as a spirit are sort of sneaking around trying to like get to the machine. And Painter takes his dress off so that he can go into stealth mode. And then Yumi takes her dress off too, even though she's invisible. And he says, why did you strip? He asked. You're invisible. Solidarity, she shouted. (laughs) It's just so cute.
0: No additional comment. It's (laughs) incredible. I laughed out loud when this moment happened it's adorable exactly it's just so perfect i don't (laughs) know why but i'm doing it we will be naked together (laughs) that is the power of nakedness it actually
1: i think they're actually in like long pants and like an undershirt
0: they're definitely not naked it's still brandon writing so it's not that graphic (laughs) That was great for comedy. I'm going to take us off with a little bit of speculation, invite everybody to hit me with your hot takes. Okay. Why are all the things that I said wrong? Why are all the things that Brooke said right? What <laughs> is going on in your brain after Yumi and the Nightmare Painter? But I want to leave us with this because it actually ties back into Frugal Wizard, oh, which is going on okay, on the main okay. feed because we have this quote, because time travel into the past is impossible, Design said. I can show you the math, end quote. Now, time travel is not a thing that has been talked about a lot in the Cosmere. Mm -hmm. It's really not something that Brandon plays around with. However, that line is identical to what would be said in the Frugal Wizard universe, Earth, whatever. They, too, would agree that one cannot travel into the past. You can go downstream in their universe.
1: Which, to be clear, is also not traveling through time.
0: Right, it's hopping parallel dimensions, and then you get to a place that just feels like it's back further in time. But I think that this is uh, a hard-set rule of physics that Brandon is trying to imply in the Cosmere for a reason, and that's what I'm thinking. He's trying to set this boundary because things might start getting real timey-wimey if there is space travel. Relativity rules might still apply And people could start to bend time going forward. We could get characters that, for example, were in stories hundreds or thousands of years ago that just show up. I don't think it's going to be that long of a gap. But they just show up in a new story because they've been traveling through physical space. This is how Relativity works. We're not going to go into it right now. What you're going to do is tell me all the feedback that you have about Yumi. What episodes do you want us to have in the future? We have a bunch in store. We think this is going to be a really exciting book club. Clearly, we are excited about this story.
1: And until next time, life before death,
0: strength before weakness,
1: journey before destination.